our kids need social GPS. More powerful parenting on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pushback. I'm Dr. Johnny, and I want to continue my series with you regarding powerful parenting. I have so many things to say and to implore you as parents and you as children or teenagers living in a culture because it's so important to me and to this podcast and to the heart of the father that we are engaged in culture. It doesn't mean that we take on culture. It doesn't mean that we assimilate to the, the culture of this world, but we are actually sent from heaven. We have been bespo- bestowed upon with power from on high and the spirit of Jesus who lives within us to go and impact the world. I feel so strongly about this. And, and when we talk about our children, um, one of the greatest callings, one of the greatest purposes, one of the most important things that we do here on this planet is raise our children. It's critical. And the world today um, tries to give us the mantra that it takes a city, takes a community, it takes anybody else other than parents. <laughs> and I would like to focus you biblically and, and through the power of the Spirit as well to focus back again to why we are here as parents, why we have children. Uh, and, and parenting is meant to be powerful, not passive, uh, not reactive, but proactive and, and responsive to our children and what they are um, going through and facing here in this culture. Now, so many things that I talk about obviously deal with culture in general, and so they apply to adults. Um, kids become adults, <laughs> and we transition into uh, dealing with culture as adulthood. This series that I want to do, I want to focus very much on giving our children boundaries and strategies to deal with culture. We have a little more experience. I'm about to have a, a birthday. I'm turning the big five three. And I just have more years of experience than my kids do living through cultures and, and different things that the world is offering to us. And so you learn over time how to react and how to stand and, and, and what to say. doesn't mean that we do it perfectly as we get older, for sure. But, but kids have very little time in the saddle to deal with some of these things. And some of these things rise up, which are just generally new. And this is absolutely one of those topics today. Something that I can absolutely testify was not an issue when I was a kid. I want to talk about social media, um, navigating relationship within social media. It's a new phenomenon and not always really a positive one. And so these kids are walking around with these small, powerful computers in their hand and, and it has, in a lot of ways, in a very real sense, become a substitution for real social interaction. And that's become a problem. You know, it actually has like a real practical problem when we are, are 
um, not learning how to engage personally with people. Do you realize that CEOs and, and, and companies are having difficulty finding this young generation having an ability to, to act and interact with real people? Now, of course, a lot of business and commerce is done now online and, and through the power of social media, granted. But the one-on-one, closing the deal, forming relationships, they're having, fi- they're having problems finding real surrogates, real young people who have the ability to look people in the eye and have real conversations with people. Companies are struggling to find front people for their company that puts a smile on their face and shakes people's hands and actually talks and have real conversations with them because this little box in our hand has shifted culture in a real unprecedented way, obviously unprecedented. This technology had never existed before. And we as parents need to learn how we're going to deal with that. What is our positioning? I released a podcast not too long ago, a few months back, entitled Sacred Spaces. It was one of my favorite podcasts. I thought it was very enlightening about the sort of the danger and the the issues uh, that are facing us and in relationships, even family relationships in regards to social media. And I said in that podcast that technology is neither good or bad, but how it's used. And so we as parents have that unique responsibility to create boundaries, there's that word again, boundaries and strategies for our children to use this technology, but in a powerful, productive, positive way. Isn't that what we want for our kids? A Pew Research Center poll said 95% of teens reported having access to a smartphone. So it is you, my listeners, and your children. Our kids have cell phones once they learn to drive. It is an absolute necessity from a safety standpoint for them to have a phone, have access to help and to their parents when they need it. And so we don't prohibit cell phones altogether, but we need to put boundaries around them. It says in this article, even teenagers, the prototypical early adopters of any new technology, they have mixed feelings about the impact social media has had on their lives. The Pew Research Center poll said one in four teens thought social media had been mostly negative, with about half thinking the effects have been mixed. So when you do the math, that's three-fourths of all teenagers. These are teenagers have at very best a mixed reaction to social media. That's a problem. That's not a positive. That's not something we look at and say, wow, this is something that's doing really good for our society, right? Researchers found that in a a cohort of U.S. adolescents, those who use social media more than three hours per day were at increased risk for developing mental health problems. The risk... um, principally seen for internalizing problems such as feeling lonely, sad, depressed, or anxious, rather than for externalizing problems like acting out or behavioral difficulties. Now, isn't that ironic? Because this is called social media. And yet, is this socializing? This is having negative effects on our kids. These are just teenagers. Of course, we can extrapolate that into adulthood as well. But this is referred to as social media, and yet it is a very antisocial response or product that's actually being, being used by our children on a regular basis. 
Researchers found that teens who use social media multiple times per day, that's not that much, were more likely to report psychological distress, less life satisfaction, less happiness, and more anxiety than those who used it only weekly or less often. Well, that sounds like a boundary to me. And maybe teenagers are listening to this and said, are you really being serious? Like weekly? Well, there, there are advantages to phones. There's no doubt about that. But allowing young people, and this is what even this article says, unfettered access. I looked up the word unfettered. It means unrestrained or uninhibited. It means not controlled, limited, or prevented by anyone. Well, the anyone in this conversation are parents. <laughs> parents cannot allow children to use these boxes of computers with unlimited access or unfettered use. Because it seems to be harming them psychologically. We can't police the internet and sadly many hateful people will use the internet to say many hateful things. But there is something we can do. We can put our phones down. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> what? Put our phones down. Go outside and share a memory the old-fashioned way. <laughs> I love that line from this paragraph. Parents are responsible for the fetter. Now, we think of fetter as chains or, or imprisonment, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a boundary and making it clear as we're providing phones for our children or allowing phones for our children that it is a privilege, not a right. And I believe that there has to be not only um, a fettered access, but also allowing parents to see what is happening on this phone. It's a boundary. It's a it's a it's a rule. It's a it's a thing that we that we have our children be actually protected and covered, and that's what parents do. I think I shared this in that last uh, uh, podcast as well, but I just want to go through some of the things that studies have shown, which I think are so interesting: um, the dangers of cell phones and social media. One is called teen tendonitis, causes pain in the hands, back, neck due to poor posture. Um, number two, stress. Having a cell phone will tempt your te teen to spend all day talking or texting instead of doing productive things. And then we talked about before, prone to stress, anxiety, and depression, increased mental health problems. Sleep loss. Most teens keep their cell phones nearby while sleeping to respond to texts and calls and remain reachable around the clock. That's called a boundary. That does not need to happen. That is almost almost crossing into idolatry if this phone needs to be at the center of who you are even when you sleep. That is actually crossing a major line. I'll take a hard stand on that one. Now, that should not be the case. Phones need to be turned off when sleeping. Studies have found that teenagers who use cell phones after the lights out experienced increased tiredness. <laughs> well, that's not a big shock. <laughs> Uh, college students who use cell phones after the onset of sleep are reported to be awake an extra 46 minutes. That's a lot. Accidents. Te teens tend to attend calls and text while driving. That's uh, not just exclusive to teenagers, of course. Um, but cell phone use while driving should be an absolute no and boundary. Anxiety. Relying on texting as a primary mode of communication can increase anxiety in teens. 
This, this, the instant reply by a friend can bring joy and elation, but in case of delayed response or no response, the same pleasure can turn into disappointment. Also, cell phone addiction can turn into an obsession to check messages and reply immediately. They've actually done studies that have shown that the beep beep of a text that had just come onto your phone is one of the most powerful, compelling noises in human psychology. Like it's almost impossible to ignore it and not want to look at your phone. It is that powerful. It's a Pavlovian response. You can look that up. Number seven, cyberbullying. According to a study conducted on 13 to 18 year olds, 15% of children have been bullied, cyberbullied online. 10% have been cyberbullied by cell phone and 5% have been cyberbullied uh, by another person through a cell phone. High problems falling asleep, higher rate of anxiety and depression. Are you catching a connection here? There's something called number eight, false prestige. I think this is interesting. The latest development in cell phones have made it easy for teenagers to access any information. Most of the things projected on social media and the internet may not be accurate. What? Could that be true? The, the, the things on the internet aren't accurate? I'm sorry about my sarcasm. But teenagers who are naive, because they're teenagers, might take them seriously and get influenced. This might lead them to live in a fantasy world and develop false prestige. Some may also resort to crimes to fulfill their fantasies. And obviously, this relates into pornography as well. Let's make no doubt about it. I don't want to sugarcoat this. Uh, pornography is easily accessed on phones. And to put a pornographic instrument or, or uh, machine in their hands that they can access that at any point is unfettered. Number nine, obesity. Constant use of cell phones may cause obesity in teen teenagers. I think we can get the idea of that. People who spend more than five hours a day in front of screens are 43% more likely to get less sleep, exercise, resulting in obesity. That's a, that's a high number, 43. And as a doctor, we see that all the time. The, the rate and incidences of adolescent and teen obesity is through the roof. And vision problems. Increased use of cell phones has caused vision problems in teenagers. 83% were found to have cell phone vision syndrome. The symptoms include stress, redness, burning sensation, blurred vision, and dry eyes. So excessive use of cell phones surpasses their usefulness and, uh, and creates new problems in teenagers. That's excessive usage. While you may not stop your teenager from using a cell phone, it is possible to limit the usage by establishing some ground rules. This isn't a Christian flyer that gave me that paragraph. This is a secular article reporting on the dangers of cell phone usage. Ground rules is a great word for boundaries, which is what this is all about. I believe this is a great springboard to other topics that I'm going to be talking about in regards to my top 10 list of cultural issues facing our teens, as this is another installment of Powerful Parenting. And my point in this is we're going to talk about video games and, and violence and some of these other things that all spin off of this use of cell phones. But the most important thing, I believe, in this conversation about cell phones is the issue of socialization and being present and connected into conversation. I believe it is actually important and imperative for parents to be intentional about connecting with their children. 
as I mentioned before, my last podcast was entitled Sacred Spaces. And and, and it was based on an article um, by Jill uh, Suddy, uh, but it was talking about an MIT professor, Sherry Turkle, and her new book, Reclaiming Conversation. And she studied for 20 years the impact of technology and how we behave, not only alone, but in groups in regards to socialization. This is a secular book, a secular article, but super insightful about the dangers and the problems of us connecting so Socially with people. Let me just give you a couple of those highlights. She reports that 89% of Americans say that during their last social interaction, 89%, so let's just say pretty much everybody, that they took out a phone. And 82% said that it deteriorated the conversation they were in. Basically, we're doing something that we know is hurting our interactions. First, it decreases the quality of what you talk about because you talk about things you wouldn't mind being interrupted, which makes sense. And secondly, it decreases the em- em- empathic connection that, uh, that people feel towards each other. So even as simple, simple as going to lunch and putting a cell phone on the table decreases the emotional importance of what people are willing to talk about. It decreases the connection that the two people feel toward one another. If you multiply by that by all the times you have had a cell phone on the table when you've had coffee with someone or are at breakfast with your child or are talking with your partner about how you're feeling, we're doing this to each other 20, 30 times a day. Cell phones make us promises that are like gifts from a benevolent genie that we will never have to be alone, that we will never be bored, that we can put our attention where, wherever we want it to be, and that we can multitask, which is perhaps the most seductive of all. The ability to put your attention wherever you want it to be has become the thing people want most in their social interactions. That feeling that you don't have to commit yourself 100% and you can avoid the terror that there will be a moment in an interaction When you will be bored, actually allowing yourself a moment of boredom, please listen to this. If you don't hear anything else in this podcast, listen to this paragraph. Actually allowing yourself a moment of boredom is crucial to human interaction and it's crucial to your brain as well. When you're bored, your brain isn't bored at all. It's replenishing itself and it needs that downtime. It doesn't take long for us to get into our suburban, our beautiful four-wheel drive SUV suburban that I love so much. And we have TV screens that pop down and, and our kids within three minutes of being in the car, can we watch a movie? Can we watch this? Can we see this? And Amy and I are trying to get better at saying, no, we need you to use this 30 minutes to just look out the window. It's actually replenishing their brain. It's actually good for their brain chemistry to be to have some downtime. Our world and our social media world um, allows and has the ability for constant 100% interaction. Constantly being entertained, constantly flooding our brains with information. And our brain actually needs some downtime. So boundaries for our children, even just with screen time. So again, and I wrote this in the last podcast, this author recommended, her recommendations are called sacred spaces, the kitchen, the dining room, the car that are device free and set aside for conversation. When you have lunch with a friend, colleague, or family member, you don't put a phone on the table between you. It makes meals a time 
when you are there to listen and be heard. I'm telling you, this is a very simple thing to do is to sit down with your family and have a conversation about what those places and times are. We've all been there. We've all been to restaurants and we look at other families and they're all on their phones and not one of them are talking to each other. It's sad. It's bizarre. It's not something that we experienced 30 years ago. <laughs> it would never happened. It wasn't a thing. We've all seen at sporting events or live activities where heads are buried in phones and it's destructive. It's not healthy. It doesn't send a message to our culture that anybody else in the room is important. This is an important and fairly easy change to make. Now, I know that there's a certain addictive, powerful place where teenagers feel like they need to be socially connected. But I hope what I'm communicating to you through this podcast is that those connections aren't always healthy connections. In fact, they're quite destructive. And the more time that they spend with this box in front of their face, the actual increased chances of depression, anxiety, and sadness, and hopelessness that actually is instilled into them. And we as parents don't want that for any of our children. So there's this very simple way, a simple maneuver. It's called a boundary. Sacred spaces. Number one. Number two, accountability software. It's, there's easy access all over the internet to download accountability software and to make it clear to your children that you're going to be checking their phone. There's nothing wrong or punitive about that if they have nothing to hide. This is a very dangerous, um, all-access device. And we can protect our children from that and should. Number three, time limits. There's plenty that they can do and the time that you give them to do. I can't tell you exactly what the time limit should or ought to be, but studies have shown that weekly, twice weekly is plenty. It's more than enough to accomplish what the phone is made to use. And certainly it's there as a safety device, but we can set time limits. And number four, public usage. There's absolutely no reason that your child or teenager should be on their phone um, in private, in their bedroom, in, in, in isolated places. It should be a public utility device. Our children need GPS. They need a guidance system to, to navigate social media, and they need help from their parents. Now, they might roll their eyes at their parents and say, you have no idea what social media even is, and there's some truth to that. However, we're still parents, and we do know the dangers and the accessibility that they need to live life fettered in this realm. And then as I've been saying throughout all of this series of powerful parenting, that we need to talk with our children, sit down with our children and have them take the stand. Ask them, ask them very pointed, um, provocative questions about what they would say when they get teased. Why aren't you on your cell phone? Why aren't you access accessible on Instagram? Why aren't you do this? Uh, why can't I ever reach you? And, and there needs to be a response that is a constructive, positive response. There's things that children can learn to say, like, well, you know, cell phones have their problems. Nobody's going to argue with that statement. Cell phones have their problems. Or 
definitely using I statements. As soon as you say you use it too much or, or you are the problem or other people that what they're tweeting is the problem and you start pointing fingers, it actually creates a defensiveness, defensiveness that actually doesn't open up conversation. But they can use I statements. I have just learned that I need time away from my phone to refuel. I have learned that this hasn't been really positive for me. And so I need time away. This isn't always good for me to be on my phone. I've learned that over time. And people will connect with that and there's not really a response. But have our children start exploring different catchphrases and words that they can say under cross-examination. And it also raises awareness to other people that there are real problems for phones. There are a real need to get away. There are is There, there really is a, a positive um, outcome when we disconnect for a time and allow our brain to refuel. That's all true. And our children can be the truth bearers. My friends, technology has brought in a, a world that we didn't know would ever happen 30, 40 years ago. But here it is. It's not going away. And we need to be on the forefront, the forefront as ambassadors of heaven to take this technology for the good that it is and put boundaries and strategies around our children so that they aren't swept away into a culture that is dangerous and harmful. That's what we're here for. It's called powerful parenting. Will you join me in that? Pushbackculture.org is a great place for you to contact me, leave your comments, questions. If you have other powerful parenting uh, conversations or topics that you would ask me to talk about or give my opinion or perspective about, I'd, I'd be honored to do that. So you can just contact me through uh, pushbackculture.org. Pushbackculture.org is also a platform for you to connect to our YouTube videos if you'd like to see my smiling face uh, or if you want to just connect to the, the weekly podcast um, through your podcast provider. It is my privilege to come to you every week and to share my heart. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your incredible feedback and support. Love you all. Until next week, let's go together now to set and shape the culture.